mindfulness mode. Do your best to turn off the inner critic. Don't doubt yourself and listen to what your body is telling you. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Mindful Tribe, we're here to talk about poetry, the creative word, how we can reach our creativity and how that can be part of our mindfulness. And I'm very honored to have a fantastic poet with me today. I have James Cruz with me today. James, are you in mindfulness mode today? I think so. I hope so. (laughs) I think you definitely are. James, I want to share a little bit about Mindful Tribe, about what you've done, about you. You're the author of The Path to Kindness, which is a beautiful collection offering more than a hundred poems of connection and joy from a diverse range of voices, including a poem by the U.S. Poet Laureate Joy Harjo. And you've also authored four prize-winning collections of poetry, and you're the editor of the best-selling anthology, How to Love the World, which has more than 90,000 copies in print and was featured on NPR's Morning Edition in the Boston Globe. You have met with so much success with your work, and I'm so excited to talk to you. But first, what does mindfulness mean to you, James? Well, mindfulness for me, I kind of fall back on uh, John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness, which is basically just non-judgmental close attention to what's arising in our thoughts, our minds, our hearts. And so for me, mindfulness is really just a kind of deep attention to experience as it arises and and wherever it's arising. So in the mind, heart, or the body. And um and, and mindfulness for me too is just a necessary ingredient for me as a writer as well. Um, I may be jumping ahead here, but I, I just feel like I have to put a plug in that, you know, writing is, is such a great form of mindfulness and you don't have to be a writer to do it. It's such a great way to enter into this practice that we're talking about. James, when did you first know that writing was your thing, that you would you would just focus on this in your life? Hmm. Well, I would say it took me a long time before I gave myself permission to understand that it was something I really wanted to focus on and, and to really give my life to. Um, but I think I had inklings, and my first inkling was, um, I guess in the third grade, um, I had a great teacher. I've had so many great teachers, and um, she required us to... Uh, memorize and recite a poem every week. And so, you know, that's a lot to ask of an eight-year-old. And I I was dreading it, I have to admit, as a shy, introverted person. And yet, I think it lit this spark in me. So having to do that, and then I got the bright idea that I might want to write and recite my own poems. And luckily, my teacher was very encouraging, like, yes, of course, of course you can do that. And, um, and so I, I think seeing how she and my other classmates responded taught me that I could create something, you know, just from the depths of myself that had not existed before. And people could actually respond to it. They might like it. They might be, you know, some people were sort of just nonplussed by it, not that interested. Um, but some people could really like it. And I think that really got me interested in you know, what writing could be. I always thought I would go the path of 
teaching writing and that that would be how I would make my living. And that has been true to a large degree. But I think probably in the last 10 years or so, I've realized that writing is this viable way and this viable practice for me. And that just like for me, meditation, if I don't write at least a little bit every day, I tend to get pretty cranky. And, and I notice my, the effect on my nervous system. It's not, it's not a pleasant effect. What other forms does creativity take in your life? Hmm. Besides writing, I, I really enjoy cooking. Um, I, I don't think I'm that great at it per se. Um, my husband will tell you like, oh, he's pretty good probably. Um, but I just love putting things together. And I know that when I'm in um, what you describe so well as a mindfulness mode, like the, the cooking, the meals just kind of come together and they're like little adventures on their own. And so, you know, I love pulling out the spice drawer and, and just mixing things together that we have in the fridge. Um, I would say also growing things is a form of creativity, oddly enough, and, um, you know, in what you choose to grow and, and um, how, you, how you use that and tend to those plants. So that's another way of um, creativity for me. And I think really teaching is a, a real form of creativity um, that I, I just, I love performing. Um, and and it, there's no greater thrill than kind of sitting or standing in front of people. And for me anyway, not knowing what I'm going to say. Like I, I have some things to fall back on having taught for about 15 or 20 years now, but um I go in with a blank canvas. I go in fresh, as fresh as I can every time. And, and I think that leaves room for whatever arises. So as you talked about the cooking, you made it sound like it was almost magic. The spices, <laughs> they all just kind of happen. Does your husband feel as though you have that magical touch? Mm, I think he does. Um, I would say he's the better cook because my husband is a an organic farmer by trade. And so he's very in touch with, you know, from seed to, you know, the final fruition of whatever he's growing. He's a veggie farmer. And mm -hmm. um, so I think he's a little bit better, but I think he would say the same thing that when he too is in that mindfulness mode, it does feel like magic. And it feels like things just come together on their own. And it happens because we're not forcing it and we're not thinking too much about it and just allowing our intuition to guide us. I think that's probably the most fun and thrilling part of cooking or any creativity. Right. Well, you uh, uh, included in your book some information about your husband and it was good to learn about him. And uh, so just tell me, when, where did you meet him and, and how did this come about and, and what was the mindfulness behind this relationship that you forged? Well, we actually, we have a very modern relationship. So we met online and um, it was through a dating app that I think we were both about, you know, two weeks away from ceasing to use altogether because it was just getting to be too much. And, and speaking of mindfulness, you know, on a dating app, as you can probably imagine, you encounter a lot of folks who are not looking for that like genuine mindful connection. Right. But luckily for us, we were both looking for that. And um, so it, it was an act of mindfulness in itself, the way we connected, because we first started chatting on the app and then very quickly moved to email. 
And we started writing these really long emails that I, I often tell people were like, you know, 19th century letters or something, because he was living in Vermont. I was living in Providence, Rhode Island. So not very far away, really, but um, but I had never been to Vermont. And um, so we talked for probably about a month or a month and a half and then finally met. And I don't think I would have realize the importance of the connection without a mindfulness or meditation practice and you know just just paying attention to what was happening like oh this this feels different this feels really special and and so just being in touch with that really helped me to tend to the importance of this connection and um and so it was really just a matter of months later until I ended up coming to Vermont pretty regularly. And then over the next summer, we, we moved in together. So it, it, it all happened pretty fast. And I think that was only because I was paying attention to what I was feeling and you know how it compared to other people. And I had sort of always wanted to be with someone who could really have that deeper presence and have that capacity for attention. It felt like I would often go on dates and, you know, I would catch the other person just staring at his phone or, you know, just not really paying attention to me. And, and I always wanted that and, and finally found that in, in my husband, Brad. Oh, that's great. It sounds like a great relationship. Behind you, I'm seeing a beautiful picture of a winter scene and i'd like to know the story behind that if there is one it looks like a covered bridge possibly mm -hmm. in that picture well my my husband and my mother-in-law both love collecting old paintings so this was not done by anybody i know but it is very much a vermont scene and we do have lots of covered bridges here and um it has that subtle beauty of winter that that i think we we have to get used to here in the the northern parts do you enjoy the snow in the winter? I do. I do. It has felt like a very long winter this season. Um, I think just because the cold and the snow last um, began early and has lasted for quite a while. Um, but it's spring is coming now. You know, the daffodils are shooting up. I do love winter because I feel like it gives me a lot of permission to just go inward and, you know, be inside and do the reading and kind of solitary acts that I love to do. But when the sun is shining, I think I'm conditioned to, to just be outside and want to be out in the weather. Um, so so I like inclement weather, strangely enough. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Your book, uh, your book, The Path to Kindness, includes some poems by you, uh, which are beautiful. And I was wondering if you would read one for us. Oh, sure, absolutely. I think um, the one I'll read is called The Pool. And okay. uh, this is on page 78. And okay. this is about my father, um, you know, performing this act of, of loving kindness and unconditional love and, and me not really having the words for, for what he was doing when I was younger. I think it's, it's a form of kindness to look back at certain memories in our lives and realize, oh, that's what was really going on. And maybe I wasn't, you know, old and mature enough to recognize that or present enough to see it. So this kind of comes out of that idea. And this is the pool. 
because he couldn't afford the kidney-shaped in-ground pool we all wanted. My father went out and bought a used galvanized pool whose rusted rim I refused to touch. As usual, he had a solution. He split a length of black rubber hose down the middle with his pocket knife, then stretched it over the rough sides inch by inch until no rust showed. Back then, I never thought such gestures were selfless, evidence of what we call unconditional love. But now I feel my small hands gripping soft rubber, and I see my father on the back porch, cigarette hanging from his smiling lips as he watches me lift myself out of the pool, flinging cold water from my goose-pimpled skin as if I'd been reborn again. Wow, beautiful. Thanks for reading that. Thank you. So, James, I want to talk about um, your uh, maybe possible challenges with being gay and and how you've moved through that and and whether you experience a lot of difficulty with that or whether it was relatively smooth moving as you you moved through your life i would say it was definitely not smooth at all um as you suspect it definitely has had its challenges and i i was born in 1980 so i came of age at a time when there was not a lot of representation of lgbtq people um, you know, transgender even wasn't really a word that that was familiar. And so um, I feel like I've kind of had to make my own way and, and figure things out. Um, I think also growing up before there was much internet, um, you know, kind of leaves leaves people in the cold as to, you know, how to do this. And, and are there other people like me? So I, I grew up in rural Missouri, so in the Midwest, and um, and that was a challenge in and of itself because I never really met any gay people growing up that I you know that I knew about, and um, so it's been a challenge to just name that for myself, and and again I, I come back to that word permission, so just giving myself permission to you know, be attracted to who I'm attracted to or, or love who I love. And, um, and that was a journey. I, you know, I was actually married to a woman for a few years. She was my best friend in high school because I was confused. We were both confused about um, who we were, who I was. And, you know, I wouldn't give that back for the world because it's been such a learning process. And, and I think, an essential part of mindfulness for me is being really present in the body. As a gay man, it's pretty easy to be at war with your own urges and with, you know, that presence in the body. And so it's been, it's taken me a long time to, to just be with those sensations, come back to the body. And I don't think I would have done it without meditation and, and especially in the last few years that the practice of self-care and self-compassion um just that sense of you know it's okay to have a lot of anxiety it's okay to you know feel like an outsider in certain situations even still you know when we have so much representation and acceptance 
Thanks for sharing that. And I want to ask you a little bit more about your book, The Path to Kindness. Tell me about some of the feedback you've received so far from it. Well, the feedback has been really wonderful um, and overwhelming so far. I, I think people are understanding sort of what I was going for. Um, a lot of what I hear from people is that they read the book and they just feel really calmed and kind of settled in their core. And, and I think that's what I want for any of my books that I put together. This one, especially since it is about kindness, connection, and joy. I want there to be a sense of groundedness, but also um, lightness at the same time. And people have told me that they feel really hopeful after reading the poems, that this book is a really nice break from the negativity and difficulty of the news in the world right now. And that's also what I was going for. Um, you know, I, I believe in this idea of literature or really any kind of art to a large degree being aspirational. So showing the world as it has been or how we believe it can be. And I think the beauty for me, just personally of having gathered almost a hundred poems together that are all about kindness, joy, connection, coming together, um, being out in nature, all these different practices that, that fall under kindness, um, it just made me feel better. You know, it really helped me through the worst parts of the pandemic when I was doing this and when there was still so much fear and uncertainty. And, um, and even still now, I, I'm just discovering that there's never going to be a shortage of fear and uncertainty and um, a, a shortage of negativity out there. And so it feels important to create a kind of safe space where people can come and they know that what they're getting is not probably going to be triggering. It's not going to be um, really difficult or really negative. And that's not to say that there aren't poems about grief and, you know, being with someone who's in grief because that is part of kindness. And, you know, I don't think we can turn away from the reality of human emotion, but I like to think that these poems transcend, you know, some of what's going on in the world right now. And they sort of see through to our essential nature, which I do believe is, is kindness or loving kindness, as many Buddhists put it. Your, your work has appeared in so many places, the New York Times Magazine, the Sun Magazine, Plowshares, the New Republic. And I'm just wondering, is it easy for you to promote your own work? Is that something that comes naturally to you? Mm, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> you probably guessed. Um, no, it really doesn't. And, and that has been a practice in and of itself. Um, my husband's been a really huge help with that. Um, he ran for office a few years ago here in Vermont. And I think watching him really use social media for a larger purpose and a higher purpose, mm -hmm. I felt... Um, because his message really was about spreading kindness and, and being more connected and, and taking care of the land and the environment. But using social media and really using whatever platform you have to spread a message of a higher purpose, um, it, it's so much easier than when it's not about you and the personal ego or kind of uplifting yourself. And it's the thing that I really love actually about putting together anthologies like The Path to Kindness, because I 
I include my own work, you know, people will get really mad at me if I didn't do that. Um, so that, but it's not about me. It's really about uplifting all these other writers because we do have really well-known writers in here, like our current poet laureate, the first Native American to serve in the post, Joy Harjo. Um, Naomi Shihab Nye is another one people might recognize. Ada Limon. Um, but we also have really quite a few emerging poets or poets people just haven't heard of as much. And I feel like it's more fun if I get to uplift those voices. Um, you know, maybe sharing poems of my own, but also sharing those poems by other people too, because they are, you know, in, in many cases, marginalized voices or diverse voices, and, and they deserve to be heard too. I'm interested in your daily routine. Do you write every day? And you mentioned meditation. I imagine that's part of your, your routine as well. Yeah. So I wake up, um, make a cup of strong coffee, and then usually sit down with a notebook. And, and I do write a little something every day. Um, I typically practice what um, Julia Cameron, she wrote The Artist's Way years ago. Um, she calls morning pages which is really just two or three pages of handwritten journaling. You know, again, that non-judgmental piece, you're never going to show it to anybody, you're never going to publish it. And I find that that helps kind of clear out the junk in my mind mm -hmm. or the gunk. Yeah. And um, it is a form of meditation, or it's at least meditative. And then I meditate, um, usually right after that, maybe after a walk or after exercising. My husband and I usually find time to sit down together. And then I usually try to meditate again before bed as well. And then throughout the day, I'm, you know, doing interviews like this or maybe teaching some workshops, um, trying to sneak in plenty of my own writing, like tinkering away on a poem or something like that. Um, taking walks, trying to be out in nature when it's the weather is decent enough to do so. And um that's that's pretty much you know the best kind of day some days are a little busier and more harried than others but but those are my more ideal days interesting james i'm wondering what you're working on now what's your next big project well the next big project is also in the same vein as kindness and so it's actually a collection of my own sort of like mini essays they're pretty short essays around the subject of kindness, compassion, pretty similar to the subjects of the path to kindness here. And, um, and I, I wrote this during the, the pandemic for the most part, you know, I felt like it was a lifeline for me to make it a practice to just try and find kindness wherever I could, even when I was feeling really anxious or fearful and then reflecting on past memories of kindness and, and I realized like, oh, I'm, I guess I'm keeping a kindness journal, kind of like people keep a gratitude journal. And um, then it just occurred to me that I might put all these essays together and, and see if they work as a book. And so I'm in the midst of seeing if they work. <laughs> <laughs> I expect they will work. I hope so. That's, that's great that you're putting this out into the world mm -hmm. to help other people because it's a tough time for a lot of people, that's for sure. And speaking of tough times, have you ever been bullied or do you have a story you can share about that? That's something I always ask on my show. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, maybe you have a different kind of story you've experienced mm -hmm. that's related to bullying. That I was aware of. I, I was never really the recipient of a lot of bullying. And 
I think, you know, that was the result of really efforts that were not very healthy to kind of hide myself and be as invisible as possible, be, you know, quiet. I was already shy and introverted, but I think I made myself even more quiet and really tried to blend in and and not call attention to who I really was or who I, you know, what I really loved doing. And um, so I don't have a lot of stories about that as a kid. I will say, um, you know, one memory that came when you talked about bullying, it's not quite the same thing. Um, but when I was in grad school in Nebraska, I was um, walking down the street and, um, you know, just feeling really happy, feeling like I was really embodying who I was at that point, teaching poetry, writing poetry, and, you know, not being able to, not being afraid to dress a certain way. Um, and I was walking down the street one morning, just walking to the pharmacy, and these guys in a pickup truck that was passing by just, you know, called out these terrible names, you know, just like these anti-gay epithets. And um, and I, you know, I, I, I sort of like stopped for a minute, but then like didn't want to engage or anything like that. But when I got home, I realized how much that affected me. And, and I would say I, I was more in tune with that probably because I had been meditating a while. I was really practicing mindfulness and, and it really disturbed me. And, you know, not, not just that, that I had to experience that, but that, you know, other people, especially younger people were probably experiencing that all over the country and world at the very same moment. And they didn't have other friends like, like I did that I could call and say, hey, this thing just happened to me. You know, I'm feeling unsafe right now. Can you just kind of talk me, talk me down from from this like extreme anxiety? Um, so it, it was really like an awareness of the suffering that others can create when they are just completely unaware or are suffering themselves, and um, and just the sadness of that. And it also makes you aware of the hate and anger in the world as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. Just difficult to comprehend. Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, the fact that it came at that moment when I was feeling so free and just so completely myself just felt really harmful. And and I don't think even now when I live in a place that's, you know, more accepting and and surrounded by family, friends, and neighbors who know who I am and know my husband and I as a couple, there mm -hmm. are times when I still feel unsafe walking out the door and still feel that sort of like looking over my shoulder. And, and again, I do think about the effect of hate and anger and the negative ripples that that, that creates. And, um, and you just, it, it just makes me hope for pray for more awareness, less suffering, and, and just, you know, more kindness in the world. Absolutely. I think, and I think that starts with people being kind to themselves in, in a large way that, you know, people in pain are the ones who often cause other people pain and they haven't tended to whatever pain is kind of causing some of that hate. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned all the positive feedback from your writings, have you received 
negative? Do you have haters online that you are aware of? I mean, a lot of, well, they say that you're not really truly successful until you do, but (laughs) what is happening with that? Right. Well, you know, it sometimes makes me think, well, I guess I'm not successful enough because I don't have a lot of haters online. But I think, you know, the folks who come to my personal work, like my poetry and the projects that I do that are focused around, like my last one was around gratitude and hope. This one's around kindness and connection. Um, I think it's really a self-selecting group to a large degree. Um, But I have to say as as a recovering cynic myself and a former academic, I I can just like imagine some of what my ac- old academic colleagues probably are saying that, you know, I'm I'm promoting poetry maybe as therapy, um, which, which I absolutely believe it is. I, I think that writing is is definitely a form of therapy, um, and and that maybe. You know, I'm, I'm choosing poems that people can really understand that are very accessible. And so some people probably are saying that, um, you know, the, the poems are just kind of all the same, you know, that there, there's not a lot of diversity in terms of the form of the poems. Mm-hmm. But it's really my mission to bring poetry back into the mainstream, back to a mainstream audience. And so I kind of, I, I hope people put out those criticisms or the the haters emerge with that because I think then I will be really bringing poetry into the mainstream when that starts happening more um and and maybe it's happening without my knowledge (laughs) (laughs) well I'm very impressed with the work you do that's for sure you you're a beautiful writer you've just put out some wonderful poems and I really appreciate that as we move on in the interview James I want to ask you five quick answer questions so just 30 second answers are perfect the first one is this who is one person who has been a mindfulness influence in your life so that would be Ted Kuzer, poet, who was a, a mentor of mine in graduate school. And he's still writing mindful, amazing poetry. Oh, wonderful. And, uh, well, let's talk about your emotions and how have your emotions changed or the way you deal with your emotions as a result of the work you've done with mindfulness? Definitely. Yeah, I'm able to name the emotions, which I think... Um, wasn't ever the case before anxiety shame it's so useful to be able to name what's coming up and to really distinguish and um, my my marriage has helped with that too i'll just say let's talk about breathing do you have some thoughts on breathing as it relates to mindfulness well the kind of meditation i do um, tends to really focus on the breath and so um, i usually when I'm meditating, I have a very busy mind. And so I count my breaths, you know, one in breath, out breath, one in breath, out breath, two, and do that in sets of fours when I'm especially caught in my, my mind and my thoughts. Do you have a book that you would recommend? Your book called The Path to Kindness is one I recommend to you, <laughs> Mindful Tribe, to my listeners. But do you have a book that you recommend? Well, staying in the the vein of poetry, there's a wonderful anthology of mindfulness poems called Poetry of Presence. And um, the editors of that are are two wonderful women. 
And it's a collection of poems that, that will really illuminate and, and help people settle as well. Okay, I'll put that into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And is there an app of any description that you would suggest to our listeners? Hmm. You know, I don't really use many apps, um, but in the past, uh, Headspace, something that people may be familiar with, has been really helpful. So I have used that and, and find that really calming. And your website is James Cruz. Dot net James Cruz, just as it sounds, J A M E S C R E W S dot net. What would we expect to find there at your website, James? Well, links to books, um, definitely some sample poems, a few videos from various interviews. And, you know, I do a lot of readings and virtual readings. And so you can look those up online as well. And I'm on social media. So if folks are curious what I'm, kinds of poems I'm writing or posting, it's my own and, and by many other people, they can definitely follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Instagram and Facebook, are those your two uh, social media places of choice? Yeah, those are the only two. You know, I'm just one person, so I can only handle so much sure. input in a day. Of course. <laughs> of course. Words of wisdom mm. for our listeners before we say goodbye, James. Mm. When you're doing something creative, do your best to turn off the inner critic. Don't doubt yourself and listen to what your body is telling you. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your work with the world. And thank you for being on Mindfulness Mode. Absolutely, Bruce. This was such a pleasure. All the best to you, James. Bye now. Bye-bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to my interview with James Cruz. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I love his book. It is absolutely terrific. Well, you know what? I've got some videos on YouTube, and I'm just working on my YouTube channel. I've got some videos that have had quite a few views, some that have no views. But it would be a big help if you would check out my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and type in Mindfulness Mode Podcast, and you'll see it. And if you would subscribe to the channel, that would be a big help. And uh, hope to see you over there. So have a great day, and take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.